Okay, good. The good news is if you enjoyed the book of Acts, we are diving back into it this morning. So if you have a Bible with you, go ahead and open up to Acts chapter 4, and that's where we're going to be looking at this morning. You know, I love hearing stories of boldness and courageousness in the face of adversity and in, uh, over and against opposition. They're both uh, deeply challenging and also very encouraging for me. You know, they're examples to, to emulate and to be inspired by. I just started reading this book of a collection of biographies, and in it, the, the author begins by saying, like, one of the benefits of biographies, hearing about people's lives, is that we're inspired by them. And so I think of William Wilberforce, who spent his entire life facing opposition in the British Parliament for trying to abolish slavery. Or I think of Malala Yousafzai, who was shot and almost killed when she was just 15 years old. Or I think of Corrie ten Boom, a Dutch lady who was imprisoned during World War II for hiding Jews. Or I think of Martin Luther King Jr., who was beaten, stabbed, imprisoned, and eventually assassinated during the Civil Rights Movement. And when we look at these stories of courage and boldness and sacrifice, the natural response is, why? Why would you be willing to give up so much? Why would you be willing to sacrifice so much? Why is your cause that important? Why would you be willing to endure so much? And as we read Acts 4, and we see two of Jesus' followers, Peter and John, they're arrested and they're sent before the council of Israel, and they're questioned by some of the most important and influential people in all of the nation. The question is, why are these guys so bold? Why are these guys so courageous? And so we look throughout the rest of the Bible and other historical documents, and we see that in the end, these guys gave up so much. Some of them, even their lives, for what they were saying. What could be so important that they would sacrifice their lives for it? You know, maybe you're still trying to work out who Jesus is, what you believe about him, and if so, this is important. Why would the people that Jesus was with for three years be so bold as to give up their life for the message that they were telling people about? And even for those of us that are sold out for Jesus, 100% convinced, I'm challenged and convicted by the boldness of Peter and John in sharing the message about Jesus. I know that in my own life there have been times where I haven't been as bold as I should be sharing the good news. And so this is what we have to grapple with, and this is what we're grappling with this morning. So we're diving into Acts chapter 4, and we'll, be, we'll read verses 1 to 22. And really what we've seen throughout the previous three chapters is it begins with Jesus just after his resurrection, and we see him ascend, and then we see the disciples, the followers of Jesus, gather together in community. And then we, we move on to chapter 2, and we see that the Lord sends the Holy Spirit, and we see miracles happen, and we see Peter proclaiming this good news about Jesus boldly, and many people come to faith. 
And we get this beautiful picture at the end of chapter 2 of the early church. And it talks about themselves devoting themselves to the apostles' teaching, to, to fellowship, to eating with one another, to praying with one another. And it says that daily people were, were growing. So you get this beautiful picture of what the church should look like. And then when we come to chapter 3, we see another miracle happen. And Peter and John, as they're walking to the temple for a time of prayer, come across a crippled man. And in the name of Jesus, they heal him. And then this, this man follows them into the temple, leaping and, and jumping around. And the people in the temple say, hey, I'm pretty sure I walk past you every day. How long have you been able to do that? And so they come along and they run over to the guy that's now running, and they're intrigued. And so Peter starts telling them the gospel. And this is where we jump into the story. So starting in verse number one. And as they were speaking to the people, the priests and the captain of the temple and the Sadducees came upon them, greatly annoyed because they were teaching the people and proclaiming in Jesus the resurrection from the dead. And they arrested them and put them in custody until the next day, for it was already evening. But many of those who had heard the word believed, and the number of the men came to about 5,000. On the next day, the rulers and elders and scribes gathered together in Jerusalem with Annas the high priest and Caiaphas and John and Alexander and all who were of the high priestly family. And when they had set them in the midst, they inquired, by what power or by what name did you do this? Then Peter, filled with the Holy Spirit, said to them, rulers of the people and elders, if we're being examined today concerning a good deed done to a crippled man, by what means this man has been healed, let it be known to all of you and to all the people of Israel that by the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, whom you crucified, whom God raised from the dead, by him this man is standing before you well. This Jesus is the stone that was rejected by you, the builders, which has become the cornerstone. And there is salvation in no one else, for there is no other name under heaven given among men by which we must be saved. Now when they saw the boldness of Peter and John and perceived that they were uneducated, common men, they were astonished, and they recognized that they had been with Jesus. But seeing the man who was healed standing beside them, they had nothing to say in opposition. But when they had commanded them to leave the council, they conferred with one another, saying, What shall we do with these men? For that a notable sign has been performed through them is evident to all the inhabitants of Jerusalem, and we cannot deny it. But in order that it may spread no further among the people, let's warn them to speak no more to anyone in this name. So they called them and charged them not to speak or teach at all in the name of Jesus. But Peter and John answered them, whether it is right in the sight of God to listen to you rather than to God, you must judge, for we cannot but speak of what we have seen and heard. And when they had further threatened them, they let them go, finding no way to punish them because of the people, 
for all were praising God for what had happened. For the man on whom this sign of healing was performed was more than 40 years old. Lord, we pray that you would open our hearts and minds this morning. Help us to listen to you and what you want to say to us. Help us to understand your word and to be obedient in response. Encourage us and challenge us through the example of your servants, Peter and John. In Jesus' name, amen. One of the, the things I su- find surprising looking back over the past is the consistency with which everything faces opposition. No matter how good the cause, how could anyone have opposed William Wilberforce's abolition of slavery or Martin Luther King Jr.'s vision of racial equality? It seems inevitable that what is good will face opposition. And that's the reality of the the world that we live in. Because of sin, because of the brokenness in the world and in ourselves, there will always be people fighting against acts of love and kindness. And in Acts chapter 4, we find the same. In the first three chapters of Acts, we don't see any opposition happening. But if you're familiar with the the prequel to Acts, the Gospel of Luke, then you're really just waiting for it. Because you see that throughout the Gospel of Luke, Jesus encounters opposition again and again, which culminates in his arrest and and execution. And so when we get to Acts 4, unfortunately, it's not really a surprise that these same guys that arrested and executed Jesus would have a problem with and would oppose Peter and John. And this is really just the beginning of the opposition that the followers of Jesus faced. So you jump forward a chapter to Acts 5, and you see that once more they're arrested, but this time they're whipped. Or you jump forward two more chapters to Acts 7, and you see Stephen, one of the disciples, killed. Or or we read that there was a great persecution that arose and Christians started being hunted down. Or or we see James, a disciple, killed. And if you carry on outside the Bible, you see that most of the 12 disciples, apostles of Jesus, ended up being martyred for their faith, being killed for their faith. So if it's true that acts of love, like abolishing the slave trade and striving for racial equality, uh, face opposition, then it seems even more true that the supreme act of love, sharing the message of the good news about Jesus, faces opposition. Paul writes in 1 Corinthians chapter 1, We preach Christ crucified, a stumbling block to Jews and foolishness to Gentiles. It's the actual content of the gospel that is supremely offensive. Think about the passage we just read. What was the conclusion of the the council? What was the one thing that Peter and John were told not to do anymore? It wasn't stop healing people. Uh, You know, that whole healing the guy thing, you can't do that anymore. That's, That's the one command we have for you. No, rather, it's the one command was not to speak or teach at all in the name of Jesus. That was the problem. That was the reason for the opposition they faced. So I think 
what we see here is a truth that we need to hold on to, to keep us from being blindsided, from being surprised. And it's this, the opposition is inevitable. We, we see throughout all of Scripture and history all over the world, proclaiming the good news about Jesus, His life, His death, His resurrection, and forgiveness, this always draws in resistance and hostility. Jesus says to his disciples in John 15, a servant is not greater than his master. If they persecuted me, they will also persecute you. The teaching of the New Testament is that we should expect to face some of what Jesus faced. Maybe not horrendous physical suffering, although certainly many people have, but some form of opposition is inevitable. And by reminding us, this keeps us from being blindsided when it actually does happen. That's the first thing that this passage shows us. The second is Peter and John's motivation for courage. So uh, one of the highlights of moving to Canada for me is, uh, I've been here just under two years now, is the wildlife. And so uh, obviously bears. You know, whenever my family comes to visit, they want to see a bear. That's the, that would be the highlight. That's the dream for them. It's like, guys, they're a little bit dangerous. Like, I don't think you want to get too close. But, but no, they, they just love bears. We don't really get anything like that. And for me, my favorite animal that I've encountered, which we don't have in England, is raccoons. And uh, I know, th this is the reaction I was kind of expecting. And this is my wife's reaction. So... Uh, my wife is all too aware of this, and she judges me somewhat for it. Um, but we don't have them, and I think they're kind of cute. I've grown qu quite fond of them, really. And so, since we moved in to, to where we are now, just over a year, then uh, fortunately for, for me, <laughs> we've had uh, this family of raccoons that comes around every now and then by our, by our door, and so at night. And so, uh, I'll be honest, I may have named one of them. And uh, we don't have any pets, and so I'm like, this is the best I can do. Jenna, like my wife, like, if you don't want me to just bring one in, then at least let me name them, you know. And so uh, I, haven't, I haven't tried to feed them or pet them. Don't worry, I'm not that much of a tourist. <laughs> and so uh, they actually made an appearance last night, so I was quite excited about that. But there was this one situation in particular where I accidentally left some food outside of our front door during the day. And we're sitting in the living room at, at night. And you hear kind of like a rustling and, and such. I'm thinking, what is that? Like, I, where is that coming from? I'm not totally sure. And I stand up, look around, and realize that there's three raccoons that have just congregated around the front, the front of our door and are nibbling away at this food. And, uh, you know, I don't mind that that much. But my wife is, is not particularly happy, so I'm like, okay, I have to get rid of them. So I storm to the front door, open the front door, shoo them away, and they scamper off. And... Uh, so they weren't particularly courageous. You know, they weren't particularly bold, were they? And why was that? Well, because of their motivation for staying, their motivation for being there was eating a bit of food because they were snackish. They're not going to sacrifice that much for something that unimportant. And so why would Peter and John risk so much? Why would Peter end up choosing to be killed 
rather than denying the message that he was proclaiming? And I think the answer is simply that they understood how important the message they had really was. That was their motivation for courage. Verse 12, Peter says, and there is salvation in no one else. It's only Jesus. This is it. This is the only hope for me and you. Faith in Jesus. So the reason Peter and John continue in the face of resistance is that they know their message is of life and death importance. Eternal life and death importance. That's why they were so motivated to be bold. But where exactly did this courage come from? What was the source of their courage? There's a second question. You know, we just looked at the, the last one was, why are they so bold? But how are they so bold? How were Peter and John so courageous in the face of opposition? I don't know what I would have done in a situation like that. I've had conversations with friends before about what we would do if we were faced with the possibility of physical harm for sharing the good news. And none of us have ever said confidently, I know that I would stand firm. This is like being pulled before the Supreme Court. You're standing before some of the most powerful people in the entire nation, the people who recently just killed your friend and teacher. But here's the encouraging thing. When the council started questioning them, then Peter, filled with the Holy Spirit, spoke to them. And actually, Jesus had told them exactly this when he was with them. When they bring you before the synagogues and the rulers and the authorities, do not be anxious about how you should defend yourself or what you should say. For the Holy Spirit will teach you in that very hour what you ought to say. So what's the source of Peter and John's courage? Here's the good news. It's not themselves. You know, it's not that they just pulled up their bootstraps and just got on with it. They can give each other a little pep talk. John, you can do this. Pete, I know you got this. Now, I know there's, there's two sides of the coin, which is definitely there's a certain aspect in which God calls us to obedience and stepping out in faith to share the good news. But also, God enables us and gives us courage by filling us with his Holy Spirit. He equips us for what he calls us to do. So there's those two sides of the coin. But I think this is where the point of hope, the emphasis is in Acts chapter 4. At the point of opposition, at that crunch time, when you meet resistance, then God shows that he emboldens his people. Isn't that encouraging to know? <laughs> you don't have to rely on your own strength. But God gives you the strength. In the early church, there was a, a bishop called Polycarp. This was around the, the mid-100s, and so not long at all after the writing of the New Testament and the very acts that we see played out in 
the Gospels and the Acts. And during a season of persecution, it's written that Polycarp was arrested and brought to an arena before the Roman ruler of, of the region and threatened with death. And so Polycarp arrives and the ruler says to him, reproach Christ and I'll set you free. And his reply was this, 86 years I have served him and he has done me no wrong. How can I blaspheme my king and my savior? God comforts us, strengthens us, gives us courage when we encounter opposition. Finally, we began by saying that opposition is inevitable. But actually, there's, there's also another certainty. In verse 4, the apostles have just been arrested, and it says, but many of those who had heard the word believed. Opposition is inevitable, but so is acceptance. So is the spread of the gospel. That's the result of courage. Yes, it's true that we will face resistance. So why on earth would we continue to share this message about Jesus? Why would Peter and John? And it's because of the assurance, the certainty that some people will hear, believe, and respond to the message. That God is always at work, and even in the most difficult and harshest of situations, he brings people to himself. He draws people to himself. There are always people that God has prepared to hear his message of eternal life. And so we, we see these two. We see opposition and acceptance throughout all the history of the church. In every time, in every season, in, in every place. We see it in Canada, and we see it in England. We see it in Zambia. We see it in Peru. And we see it in the 21st century, and the 19th century, in the 5th century, in the 1st century. The hope we have in opposition is that acceptance of the gospel, that some people will believe and be saved, is inevitable as well because God's at work. Verse 10 says that, when they were asked how they healed the man, Peter responds that it is by the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, whom you crucified, whom God raised from the dead. And then back to the beginning of the passage, Peter and John are teaching the people, and then the Jewish rulers come to arrest them, and it says they were greatly annoyed because they were teaching the people and proclaiming in Jesus the resurrection from the dead. This is the entire bedrock of Peter and John's confidence. You know, think of a building made from concrete, and you have to lay this foundation for everything else to be built upon that can support this entire building. This is the most important part of the entire structure. That's Jesus to Peter and John's message. More specifically, that's the resurrection of Jesus. That's what this whole thing is about. That's why Peter and John were brought in in the first place. The message they were proclaiming was that Jesus died, taking on our sins, everything we've done wrong, and then rose from death, showing he is greater than death. And because of this, our resurrection, our eternal life is possible 
through belief in Jesus and forgiveness by him. That's the message that God is drawing people into. The result of courage is that people believe this message and receive forgiveness and eternal life. And so to, to pull together this whole passage, we're reminded of both the certainty of opposition and acceptance. Uh, do we doubt either of these? Are we in danger of being blindsided and shaken when we encounter opposition? Maybe it will be rejection by a friend, a harsh word or an insult by someone that we don't know well. Or maybe it will be a family member. Or maybe some of us will even have to suffer physically, as many of our brothers and sisters around the world have and do. Are we expecting it? And know that it's not because of God's unfaithfulness. But also, do we know the hope and the certainty that God is at work? That he is preparing people for his message. That he goes before you. And that he guarantees that some will hear, believe, and be saved. Your coworker, your friend, your sister who you've been praying for for years, your husband. We also see the source of courage in the face of opposition. What a comfort it is to know that God will be with us when we encounter resistance, that he will comfort us, that he will strengthen us, that he will sustain us and embolden us to declare his message. And last, we see the motivation of Peter and John's courage. His message is of the utmost importance. Eternal life is at stake. Is this the urgency I have? Is this the urgency you have? Do we really understand the stakes? Do we really understand in our heart what's on the line here? God is calling out to each one of us here today. To those who already know and follow him to declare his message of forgiveness in the death and resurrection of Jesus. To those who don't follow him, to believe in Jesus, to ask forgiveness, turn to him and receive eternal life. Let's pray. Lord, how challenging and encouraging this passage is. We thank you for the examples that you give us of people that are more bold than we are, that are more courageous than we are, to have an example to look to, to be encouraged by. We thank you for your servants, Peter and John, because really without them, we wouldn't be here today. We thank you for their faithfulness in spreading your good news. We thank you that you have walked beside them and that you spread your good news as well. Lord, we pray that we would keep in mind the, the reality of opposition, <laughs> that we would not 
doubt your goodness and your faithfulness when we experience that and be blindsided by it. We also pray that we would keep in mind that you are at work and you are drawing people to yourself and that you are calling us to, to the joy that is to participate in the work that you are doing. We also ask that we would recognize the importance of this. That we would realize that your son Jesus is the only way to salvation. We realize what the stakes are, Lord, what's on the line. And so we thank you, Lord. We ask you to embolden us, to give us courage. We pray all these things in the name of your precious son, Jesus. Amen. Brothers and sisters, you are daughters and sons of the Most High God. You are deeply, deeply loved. And whether or not you know it, you are gifted with dreams and visions. Whether or not you feel it, the grace of God rests upon you like flames of fire. And so may these truths give you boldness and courage as you go from this place and love the Lord your God with everything he's given you. May these truths give you boldness and courage as you go from this place and love your neighbor as yourself. And as you do, may the strong arms of the Father sustain you. May the deep peace of Christ enfold you. And may the power of the Holy Spirit strengthen you for every good thing to which he has called you this day, this week, and beyond. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Be blessed.